Father, we know that without you, we can do nothing. And so, Father, we invite you here tonight. Father, speak to us. Lord, give us a word, Father, a timely word that will encourage us, that will strengthen us, that will help us to come alive, that will stir up our spirit, man, Father. Father, we don't come here, Lord God, to play church. We come here, Lord God, to hear from you. And, Father, we believe that you have an instruction for us tonight. And so, Father, we come with ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying tonight. And so, Lord, we thank you for the Holy Ghost to move mightily tonight, speaking to our hearts. And, Lord, we open our hearts tonight to receive what you have. And, Lord, we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. How many of you heard the story of the hunter who negotiated with the bear? Have you ever heard the story? No? Well, praise God. You're going to get to hear it tonight. Well, the story goes like this. It was a cold day, and the days were getting colder. Winter was around the corner. So the hunter decided he was going to go out and hunt for himself a bear. And the reason for that is because once he get that bear, he can use the fur to make himself a fur coat to keep him warm in the winter months. So he heads out to hunt for this bear. And as he's trudging along through the forest, three or four miles, lo and behold, there was a big, big bear heading right towards him. And so he takes his rifle and he raises it up and he sets his sights and he carefully aims. And then just before he, or just as he was about to pull that trigger, the bear, in a soft, soothing voice, said this, isn't it better to talk than to shoot? What is it that you want? Let's sit down and negotiate. So the hunter, lowering his weapon, says, well, all I want is a fur coat to keep me warm in the winter months. And the bear says, that's good. That's negotiable. All I want is a full belly. So let's sit down and let's negotiate a compromise. So the bear and the hunter sat down and began to negotiate. After a time, the bear walks away alone. The negotiation was successful. The bear had a full belly. The hunter, well, he had his fur coat. The point of this message... There is a point here. We will always lose out when we compromise with the devil, with the world, or with sin. Always lose out because in the end, when we compromise, it will consume us. Amen? The devil is always looking to negotiate our convictions, our faith, and our belief. The devil will come to you in a soft, soothing voice and say, let us negotiate. You give a little, I give a little. Let's compromise. But we know that if we continue to do that, we need to make a stand and say, there's just some things that are not negotiable. Amen? The message or the title of my message tonight is No Compromise. My wife would oftentimes watch little Jaina, which is Pastor Ray and Angela's daughter. And she's been doing that quite a few years. And every once in a while, because, you know, uh, Pastor Ray and Angela are doing ministry work. So my wife had the privilege of sitting down with her, and again, since she was young. And every once in a while, my wife will take the time to deposit little nuggets in her. And one of the things that she would try to deposit in her, teaching her no compromise. And she would explain to her what compromise is. And so every time my wife sees her on a weekend, on Sunday, she'll say, Jaina, what does this mean? And Jaina will say, no compromise. So I want you to do this with me. I want you to hold up your finger. And I want you to say this, no compromise. If you notice on the screen, we have one gentleman standing and everyone else bowing. Who would you say is the minority there? The one that's standing. That's the, uh, the album cover of No Compromise by Keith Green. You remember Keith Green? 
very well-known recording artist who passed away when he was 12, uh, 28 years old back in 1982 in an uh, airplane crash. But this was very inspiring. And um, I thought it was good to just put that up there because in many cases we're going to be facing with situations where we're going to have to do the right thing in life. And when we find those times and we face those times and we will face those times, we're going to have to make a decision whether to, do, to, to follow God and do the right thing or we're going to choose to compromise. Amen? Go to Joshua chapter 24. How many of you remember the, the or I'm sure you probably even watch it, but the reality show called uh, Duck Dynasty? Okay. That's okay. You can raise your hand. We're not going to tell on you. But apparently it's, it's a, a reality TV show about a family, the Robertson family. And these are guys are, you know, from way down south, uh, you know, from Louisiana. But they're Christians. And uh, they're very strong in their conviction, convictions and their faith. Well, a couple of years ago, um, the, the patriarch of Duck Dynasty, I think his name is Phil, Phil Robertson, right? And so he was doing an interview with GQ magazine. And some of the questions they were asking him were questions like, what do you think about homosexuality? And what do you think about gay marriages and the bathroom bills and all that stuff? And Phil Robertson answered the question as honestly and as direct as he could. He pulled no punches. He didn't sugarcoat it. As a matter of fact, the answers that he gave them were from the word. Of course, his methods and the way he expressed himself was a little coarse and maybe a little rough around the edges. But this, what this did was it caused a ruckus, especially along, uh, among the LGBT community. And so the A&E network, which airs Duck, the Duck Dynasty, uh, was under a lot of pressure by this community. So what he did, or the executive, what they did was they suspended Phil Robertson indefinitely for his biblically-based convictions. Now, it is said that the entire Robertson family of the Duck Dynasty was willing to walk away from a very successful reality TV show rather than compromise their faith. Now, the a and Network, realizing that they were about to lose the Robertson family and millions of viewers, decided to, re, to call him back and put him back in the show nine days later with an apology. And the reason why I share that is because Christians have a voice. And the only time they hear us is when we make a stand. When we refuse to compromise... It's not so much what we say, but what we do with what we believe. And, and I understand that the LGBT who cause all this ruckus, um, the media would like to have you believe that they represent half the population, when in reality, they only represent 2% of the population. Where Christians represent a large percentage of the population in this country. So we should have a voice, but we can't be just all talk. We need to be more of an active, you know, more active in what we believe. Look at Joshua chapter 24. Here's a man who made a stand and was absolutely sure about who he wanted to serve. And I've always loved this verse. In verse 15, it says this, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord... Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua boldly challenged the children of Israel to make a decision. He says, make a decision now, not tomorrow, not next week, but now as to who you're going to serve. 
Are you going to serve other gods or are you going to serve the one and only God? Joshua took a very definite stand on the Lord. And he said that it doesn't matter what you decide, regardless of who you choose, as far as I'm concerned, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's as determined as you and I must be when it comes to our walk with the Lord. If he means anything to us, then we need to have that same determination to say this, I will not compromise and I will serve the Lord with all of my heart. Go to James chapter 4. Because the way we live shows others the strength of our commitment to serving God. It's all about what we do, not what we say. James chapter 4. Now, what is compromise? As, as I said before, as we go through life, we're going to be facing some situation where we're going to have to make a decision to do what is right. In this day and age, it's very hard to do what is right. But as believers, we cannot afford not to do what's right. So we're going to face those things. And then there's going to be a time that we're going to. And again, I say again, it, you will face those times if you haven't already. Where you're going to have to make a choice. You either choose God and do what's right or you choose to compromise. James chapter 4 and verse 17 says this. Therefore, to him who knows to do good or to do right, to him it is sin. Very bold statement from the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we're facing life situation where you have to make a decision to do what's right, it is better to be divided by truth than be united in error. It is better to stand along with the truth and stand with a minority than to be wrong with the multitude, which is the majority. And sometimes making a stand for what's right can be a very lonely place. My wife, where she works, she has a very good reputation there. And I'm not trying to toot her horn because she's my wife, but because I really appreciate this about her and respect her for that. But, you know, when you're working in the workplace, you're not always surrounded by godly people. And so you hear a lot of things and you see a lot of things. And, um, and so my wife, she tries to be a good witness there. And there was a couple of times when they tried to get her to, you know, sort of white, do a white lie type of thing, um, you know, but my wife would refuse not to do that. And, you know, she would, you know, get, you know, people get frustrated with her and they'd cut their eyes at her and say, oh, you know, holier than thou type of thing. But whenever they want honest answer from someone, they go to her. Because they recognize that she will not compromise, even if it means doing, uh, saying a little white lie. When we talk about compromise, the word compromise is not a dirty word. It's actually a, a, a very good principle because it, what it does, it's, it helps to provide and to maintain peace and unity within a relationship, especially in marriage. So, but there are two sides to compromise. There's a good side and there's a bad side. There's a negative side and there's a positive side. So when we want to define compromise in a positive sense, it is defined as an agreement or a settlement of a dispute that is reached by each side making mutual concessions. That's a beautiful thing. It's an ability to listen to two sides in a dispute and devise a compromise that is acceptable to both parties, setting a, settling a dispute by mutual concession. When you make a concession, you are giving up something. You are yielding or surrendering something. For instance, let's say that husband and wife goes home tonight. The temperature's dropped and it's very cold. And they go into their homes and it's freezing in the house. And I know that you're trying to hold out as long as you can before you turn on that heat to, to save money. Amen, right, brother? Miguel can testify of that. But they both come in and realize, you know what? We need to turn on the heat. 
So they both agree that they need the heat on. The problem is they can't seem to agree to what degree they want to set the thermostat. The husband wants to turn it up to 66 degrees because he feels that's, that's enough to warm up the house. The wife wants to set the thermostat to 75 degrees because she wants the house nice and toasty. Amen. But for the sake of peace and unity, they both decided to make concessions. They both gave up the idea of what they thought the setting should be, and they both agreed to 70 degrees. And therefore, the husband does no longer have to sleep in the couch, but they can both sleep together because they're both in peace and harmony. So you see where compromise can be a good thing. However, in the negative sense, the compromise can be the acceptance of standards that are lower than desirable. To compromise in a negative sense is to weaken your reputation or your principles by accepting standards that are lower than is desirable or lower than what you're used to. To compromise in a negative sense means you have to concede something. You are surrendering something in order to make that mutual concession and to compromise. And that could be your principles, your faith, your convictions, whatever it is. So to compromise means simply to settle for less than your convictions. So whenever we make these kinds of compromises... There are consequences. And we're going to see a couple of them tonight. Go to Revelation chapter 3. Because you see, compromise is dangerous territory for the Christian. Please understand that. Revelation chapter 3. We read the story of the letter that was written to the church of Laodicea. And in verse 14, it starts out by saying this. And to the angel of the church of Laodicea, write... These things say, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you or vomit you out of my mouth. Very strong statement by the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's pretty apparent that he does not like lukewarm Christians. When you mix hot water and cold water, what do you get? Warm water. So when you compromise, you're not hot or cold, but what you're doing is you're choosing the middle. That's what this church did. They chose the middle. They wanted to mix a little bit of hot and a little bit of cold. Because they like a little bit of the cold, but they also like a little bit of the hot. It's like a little bit of entertainment, a little bit of wealth, a little bit of fun, and a little bit of Jesus. It's a combination of a bunch of things, but it's not a commitment to one thing. And this church was guilty of choosing the middle rather than choosing hot or cold. Compromising with the devil is a deadly game. And it always fails to bring a lasting satisfaction. Please understand that. The Lord Jesus clearly tells us that we cannot play the middle. Matthew 12 verse 30 says this. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. When you can't make a decision to be either hot or cold, you're not making a decision at all. You're settling for what's safe. There's a Chinese proverb that says this, or it's a Chinese saying, it says this, you cannot cross the river, the river with your feet in different boats. Let me say that again. You cannot cross the river with your feet in different boats. Now, try to imagine crossing the river with your feet in different boats. So there are, there are several reasons why people compromise. And let me just list a few of them. There's quite a few, but these are the ones that I thought was more prominent. But one of the reasons why Christians or people in general 
compromise is because they know that there's some material gain or some personal advantages to be had. You know, when Adam and Eve was a perfect example of that, when Eve was speaking with the serpent, she knew the word of God. She understood God's instructions. But by the time the serpent was done conversing with her, she saw that fruit as good to eat, pleasant to the eyes. And she also saw that it was able to make one wise. So what she saw was something that was personally advantageous to her and something that would be physically satisfying to her. So what does she compromise? She compromised truth to satisfy her physical and as well as looking for personal advantages to be like the most high God, to be wise like God. And well, you know how, you know, the result of that. Another reason why people compromise is because they want to please their family or friends. How many of you have ever been guilty of compromising because of family or friends? Most of us have done that. Another reason why people compromise is because of fear. They're afraid of what people may say. They're afraid of some sort of repercussions. They're afraid that people aren't going to like them. Fear is another reason why people compromise. Another reason why people compromise is because they don't want, they want to avoid confrontation. Now, there are some people who can be very confrontational, and there are some people who don't want to be confrontational. And sometimes they'll compromise in order to avoid that. And then other times it's because of a lack of faith. But whatever the reason, whatever the reason, when you compromise, you settle for less. You're lowering your standards, you know, to meet in some mutual agreement with somebody because of fear or because of a lack of faith or because of you want to avoid confrontation for whatever reason it is. That's not what God wants us to do. James 4, 17, I want to say this again. Therefore, to him who knows to do good or to do right and does not do it, to him it is sin. Let's look at a couple of examples. Go with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. We're going to look at Reuben. You might ask my, uh, me, who's Reuben? Well, Reuben is one of the 12 brothers of Jacob, one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And so you know the story. Reuben and all of his brothers hated Joseph. Joseph was pampered. He was spoiled. His father favored him over his other sons. His father loved him more than his sons. So if anybody was guilty of all this animosity, it would be the father. And then one day Joseph had this dream where all of his family was bound down to him and he was standing up over them and ruling over them. And the worst thing he could have done was share it to his family because now they hate him even more. So there's all this hate and animosity going on towards Joseph. And so one day Jacob, the father, sends his sons to take the, the, the sheep out to graze for quite, you know, quite a distance. And so while they were out there, Joe, Jacob tells Joseph, why don't you go check on your brothers? So Joseph goes, finds them, and as he was looking and walking towards them, and we'll pick up in verse 18. Now when they, the brothers, saw him, Joseph, afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And then we will say, some wild beast had devoured him. We will see what will become of his dreams. Some of you, God has given dreams to and visions. But understand that there will be opposition. There are going to be people or things or situations that are going to stop you or prevent you from fulfilling that dream that God has given to you. Here in this case, Joseph's brothers thought that by killing him, it would stop the dream. It would, it's, the question was, we'll see what this dream will come to be. But the end result was they actually witnessed the dream being fulfilled. 
Because if God gave you the dream, and if you stay faithful, you'll see those dreams fulfilled. But keep in mind, you will face opposition. Because there's someone who does not want you to fulfill that dream that comes from God. Amen. So, in verse 21, Reuben heard this, and he said, and he delivered him, meaning Joseph, out of their hands and says, let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but rather cast him into this pit which is in the wilderness. And do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So, what Reuben did was a good thing. But you might ask, well, where's the compromise here? He actually saved Joseph's life. Well, yeah, he did. But when you take the lesser of two evils, you've actually really compromised. Because he thought that by saving him from death and, and coming up with the idea of throwing him into the pit, I mean, you, granted that being killed is worse, but throwing him into the pit doesn't make it any better. So what he did was he was willing to settle for less than what was right or choosing the, the lesser of the two evils. But here's what I want you to see. Because when he did that, he did that simply because in, later on he was thinking about coming back and pulling him out of that pit and then bringing him back to his father. That was his plan. That was his idea. But he also wanted to appease his brothers because they were already angry with him. They wanted to kill him. So he had to come up with an idea. Okay, listen, um, I got to come up with something. Okay, you know what? Let's throw him in the pit and leave him there. So they said, you know what, that's okay. But here's what he should have done. What he should have done was confronted them and rebuked them for even thinking of even killing their own brother. And then he would have, should have snatched them and brought them back to his father that same moment. That's what he should have done. That's the right thing to do. But instead he chose the lesser of two evils, throw them in the pit. Now I want you to look down in verse 29. Because in his compromise, we find that Reuben wanted to avoid confrontation with his brothers. And so he figured that would be the, the next best thing. In verse 29, 29 says this, Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit. He was gone. And here's the thing. He had no control over this. The chance that he had to save his, his brother, he failed to do because he compromised. Instead of doing what was right. And now, him trying to go back to rescue his brother, finding out that his brother was not there. Today, many Christians want to compromise for now and then want to make it right later on. You know, it's like, you know you're doing something wrong, but you're rationalizing in your mind and saying, but later on I'll go and ask God to forgive me. James 4, 17, therefore, to him who knows to do good or to do right and does not do it, to him it is sin. So now we see where Reuben compromised. He had an opportunity to do what is right. Chose to compromise. And because of that, the consequences was that he couldn't save his brother. When it's in your hands to do right, that's the time to do it. Because you can't come back and try to fix it later. So let's go to another, uh, another example. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 11. And let's look, look at Solomon. First King, chapter 11. Solomon was known to be a great man, great man of God. He'd done some great things. Man was wise than all the, everyone in that, that known world. He was also known for bringing prosperity to Jerusalem and his, and his nation of Judah. He was also a very wealthy man. But in the midst of all the achievements and all the wealth and the fame, and all the accolades and the popularity, there was a problem brewing internally. 
in 1 Kings chapter 11, we read in verse 1, where it says, But King Solomon loved many foreign women. There's a problem right there. And he goes on to say, As well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, and the Hittites. In other words, Solomon was an equal opportunity husband. He'll take all women from all cultures and all nations. And verse 2 says, And from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel that you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you, surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. But look at what it says. But Solomon clung to these women in love. And he had 700 wives, princess, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his way his heart. Verse 4. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not loyal to the Lord. His God was as his God as was the heart of his father, David. Verse five says, for Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and then also after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And then verse 6, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. (coughs) So he did not completely turn away from God. But his heart was divided with several other gods. As I said earlier before, a little bit of wealth, a little bit of pleasure, a little bit of entertainment, and a little bit of God just to balance things out. But Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. When he says no one, that's what he means, no one. Because he says you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be loyal to the one and neglect the other. So it is impossible to serve two masters or more. Solomon serves many gods. And one of the things about him was this, was he clung to these things. What are you clinging to? What is it that you love most that you're having a hard time letting go? What is it that's taking your time, your energy, your attention, your focus away from God? You can't serve two masters. Because you're either going to love one, hate the other. You're either going to be loyal to one, and you're going to neglect the other. Is God being neglected in your life? Many Christians today, like Solomon, because of their love for things, and it could be a number of things, will compromise what they know is truth a temporary satisfaction. And we live in a world that is uh, a consuming world. Everything is about consumer. Everybody wants to be entertained. Everybody wants something. What do you have? Even the church has become consumer-minded. They come to church because they want to know what they can get. But church, life is more than just what you can get. Life is about what you're doing for God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I've got a lot to say, but I have to, unfortunately, I've got to uh, skip some of those things. Go to Psalm 119. We know that when Solomon did what was wrong in the sight of the Lord because he compromised, because he allowed all of these women in his life entering a relationship that he should not not been entering into. And, you know, let me, let me just say this. The devil is very sly and it's very easy to fall into compromise. And every one of us have done it at one point or another. But the devil's not going to come at you 
you know, in a full frontal attack. He's not going to tell our young ladies, I want you to marry this guy. He's a bum, he's an alcoholic, and he's going to abuse you and your children, and you're going to be miserable for the rest of your life. No, he's going to paint a beautiful picture. He's going to make that picture appealing. He's going to make that picture, make you want to have that. That's what he did with Eve. Because by the time he was done with Eve, she wanted that fruit. In spite of what God said, and she knew the word. And that's, that's what amazes me. That we can know the word and still compromise. In Psalm 119, and I'll read that to you. From the New Living Translation. It says, Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. Who is he, who's he talking to? Us, Christians. Look what he says in verse 3. They, the Christians, do not compromise with evil, and they walk only in his paths. That's where we should be. Every path has a destination. It leads us somewhere. But to get to that destination, we need to make sure that both feet are planted in that single pathway. It's very hard to walk on two roads. Just picture yourself trying to walk on two roads. You've got one foot on one road, you've got another foot on the other road, and then you're walking. This is how you'll be walking. And you can't get too far walking that way. But because of the choices that we make at the crossroads of our lives, it's going to determine our relationship with God. It's going to determine our usefulness for God. It's also going to determine our effectiveness in this kingdom. I want you to say these words with me. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me just say this. When we say no compromise, I want you to say that with me. No compromise. I want you to hold up your finger and say no compromise. When you say that, you are declaring publicly, you are committing to these words. I will draw the line where God draws the line. When we say no compromise, that's what we're saying. We're going to draw the line where God draws the line. We're not going to redefine the line. We're not going to redraw the line or realign it. But we're going to draw it where God draws it. And that's what, when you say no compromise, and when, I, when you leave here, I want you to keep saying that to yourself. No compromise. Because I'm going to draw the line where God draws the line. Go to Second Chronicles chapter 18. As I said before, there are consequences when we compromise, when we lower our standards, when we accept something that is lower than desirable. We saw Reuben's consequences. The consequences of Solomon is that his kingdom was stripped away from him. It cost him something. But when we make a stand and not compromise and draw that line, and make a commitment that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, there are benefits that come. Now, understand that there might be some opposition, and it can be a very lonely place to be. People may not want to talk to you. People may persecute you. People may hate you. But when you have God on your side, He's your advocate. He is your vindicator. In Second Chronicles chapter 18, we read the story of Jehoshaphat, who aligned himself with King Ahab. King Jehoshaphat was a good king. The Bible says that he did right in the sight of the Lord. He did a lot of good things. He was the king of Judah. But I don't understand why he would align himself with the king of Israel, who was King Ahab, who the Bible says is a wicked king and who did evil in the sight of the Lord. Not only that, but he went as far as having his son marry King Ahab's daughter. Well, they both joined together... And in verse 1, it says, Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance, and by marriage he allied himself with Ahab. After some years, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria, and Ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him and the, and, and the people who were with him, and, pers- excuse me, and persuaded him to go with him to Ramoth-Gilead. In other words, he wanted to join forces with the king of, of, of Judah, King Jehoshaphat, 
because Jehoshaphat was much greater, much more powerful than King Ahab. But he figured that if he joined forces with them, together they can attack and conquer Ramoth Gilead. That was the plan. That was King Ahab's idea. And so he asked, let's do that. Verse 3 says, So Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Will you go with me against Ramoth Gilead? And he answered, I am as you are, and my people as your people, and we will be with you in the war. And so Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Now see, this is what I love about King Jehoshaphat, that even though he aligned himself with a wicked king, he still had enough sense to say, Okay, we'll do this, but let's hear from the Lord first. Verse 4, he said, Jehoshaphat said to the king, please inquire for the word of the Lord today. And so the king, in verse 5, gathered the prophets together, 400 men, and said to them, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they all said, all 400 prophets said, go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. Now when a prophet tells you that, you probably would want to do it, right? Especially when there are 400 prophets who all said the same thing. But somehow King Jehoshaphat was still not convinced. Because look what he says in verse 6. Is there still not a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? Which implies that the 400 prophets that prophesied to go up was not, were not believers. Because he says, is there a prophet of the Lord? And so the king of Israel in verse 7 says this, well... There is another person, but in verse 7 he says, but I hate him. Because he never prophesies good concerning me. And he's always, and it's always evil, and his name is Micaiah. So I can understand why he left them home and never called him. Because all 400 prophets that he called says, go ahead. God will deliver Ramoth Gilead into your hands. But he wanted to leave this guy simply because he hated him. And because the prophet Micaiah never had anything good to say about King Ahab. So let's skip down to Second Chronicles. So they send for this prophet. And this messenger in verse 12 says this. When he finds him, the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him saying this. Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Therefore, please let your word be like the word of one of them. And speak encouragement. The messenger was actually telling the prophet Micaiah to say the same thing that the other 400 prophets said. He said the king was pleased and the king was encouraged. So you know what? Just say that. and We'll be good. But I like what the prophet Micaiah said. Verse 13. As the Lord lives, whatever my God says, that will I speak. When someone asks you how you feel about homosexuality, you're going to say what the Word of God says. You're going to speak what God says. When someone asks you about what you think about the bathroom bill, you're going to speak what the Word of God says. When someone asks you what do you think about the LGBT community, you're going to say what God said. When someone asks you anything about anything, you're going to say what God says. You're not going to sugarcoat it. You're not going to compromise. You're not going to lower your standards because of fear or because you want to avoid confrontation. All you have to do is simply say what the Word of God says. Well, this is what the Word of God says. That's what Phil uh, Robertson did. Now, of course, he took a lot of flack. But you see how God worked that all out? Because nine days after they suspended him indefinitely, they called him right back. And in the midst of all that, how many have ever been to the Cracker Barrel? The Cracker Barrel. It's a very family-oriented restaurant with a country uh, store. Well, when all this was going on, the, the Cracker Barrel country store had all kinds of Duck Dynasty merchandise in their store. When they heard all that stuff that was going on, they pulled all of that merchandise off the shelf only to back up and restock it once again and make a public apology for the large percentage of the clientele that they offended by doing that. See, when you make a stand to do right, God's got your back. He's got your back. He's going to vindicate you. It may be rough for a while, 
but you're going to come out the other end okay. Because God sees to it. See, God is looking for a people that are willing to make a stand and say, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. That's all he's looking for. He's looking for a people who will want to represent him without hesitation, without reluctance, and without compromise. God is looking for people that he can trust, that can speak for him, and be a witness and a testimony to him. Amen. Oh, man, I got so much to share with you tonight. Go to Exodus chapter 14. We'll close with this. Exodus chapter 14. When we become tempted to compromise our Christian principles and our convictions, we need to say, get thee behind me, Satan. When Satan tried to negotiate with Jesus in the wilderness, he said, Jesus, I'm going to give you the world, literally. And all you have to do is simply bow down. He was negotiating. But Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan, because the word says... I'm only going to tell you what God says. I will worship the Lord God and no one else. And that's what we need to do. In Exodus chapter 14, we read the story where the children of Israel reached the borders of the Red Sea after being released from from, uh, captivity. But as they were there at the Red Sea, the Egyptian army, the entire Egyptian army was coming fast upon them on the other side. So they were, they were right smack dab in the middle. They had no place to go. And the army was getting closer and closer. And Moses encourages them by saying this. Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. Now, keep in mind that the situation looked very bleak. They couldn't see how they were going to get out of this situation. Half of them couldn't swim. And they had herd cattle and everything else. They couldn't imagine how they can escape this. But Moses encouraged him and said, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall, sell, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Once you know that something is right according to God's will, and you make a stand, then all you need to do is stand. And God will do great things because of your willingness to stand in the face of opposition, because of your convictions, because of your faith, and because of what you believe. We live in a world where Christians are being slowly demonized and persecuted. Not, in, not directly, but indirectly. And we're going to reach a time where we're going to have to make a stand. It's either going to be God or it's going to, we're going to compromise. We cannot allow our fears, our inability or our unwillingness to, uh, uh, to confront people. And we cannot be afraid to answer people when they ask us a question. The Bible says that we always need to be ready to answer any questions that are directed to us because we have his word. But all we need to do is stand. And the Lord who will fight for you will see to it that you stand tall and come above that and overcome it. Because you understand, listen, when you make a stand, you're, you're, making, uh, you're sending a message to God. You're saying, Lord, you are more important to me than getting fired in my job, being persecuted. You are more important to me. And when God sees that and when God hears that, God wants to bat for you. He wants to make sure that, okay, I'm going to make sure he gets through this or she gets through this. I'm going to surround them and make sure that they don't get hurt or touched and they're going to come out on top. And that's why it's so encouraging with this Doug Dynasty uh, show. And as a matter of fact, they're entering their 11th season. You know, it's interesting because I've never watched the program, but I've heard so much about it. But I love, I, even though I may not like the show, but I love the fact that they were able to stand for what they believe, and we're willing to walk away 
from a multi-million dollar program because they did not want to compromise their faith. Amen. So God is looking for a people who's going to represent him and trust him. Go to Job chapter 1 and we'll close. When you stand firm for truth, your life will be saving your life will be a saving witness to your families, to your friends, to your neighbors, or to whoever you come in contact with. And when God looks down from heaven and sees you and sees how you're willing to make a stand and see how you refuse to compromise and say that as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. God will look down to you and say this. Job chapter 1 verse 8. Have you considered my servant? There is none like him or her on the earth. That person is blameless and upright. One who fears God and shuns evil. I want God to say that about me. Amen. He will say the same thing about you when you make a stand and not compromise. Say this with me. No compromise. I will draw the line where God draws the line. Amen. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Father God, because we are a people that are determined, Lord God, to draw the line where you draw the line. We are a people, Father God, who are determined to make a stand. Father, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, there is no compromise in our conversations. There is no compromise in our hearts or in our minds, Father God. We make a stand. Hallelujah. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for giving us the strength to stand and having done all the stand in the face of opposition. Father, I thank you for the Holy Ghost to inspire us, to stir us up, to make that stand. And Father, we thank you, Lord God, that whenever we make that stand in the face of opposition, persecution, or difficulties, we know, Father God, that you're with us. And you'll stand with us. And you will defend us. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So, Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for being there for us. Hallelujah. Father, we make up our minds today that we will not compromise our convictions and our faith or the Word of God. Thank you, Lord.